Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution maintained their perfect home record in 2021 and held on to first place with 3-1 win over New York Red Bulls. New York, er, sorry, New England got goals from Gustavo Bo, Tayon Buchanan, and Adam Butska, while also benefiting from a first half red card on Red Bulls defender Andres Reyes. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Jake Katniss of the Bent Musket. Jake, how are you? I'm good. We're here to talk about the 4-0 start of, not the Revolution, hope the Connecticut Sun, right? That's what we're here for? uh sure sure that's okay. you know what good for them though are, are i mean are you saying that i should be investing <laughs> in a WNBA future of connecticut sun to win the WNBA final I, i'm not saying you should not be doing that i'm not saying you should not be doing that i would never do that for the revs never do that for teams that i root for because you, you reasons um but yeah i'm just saying just saying actually the sun are five and oh they just won i didn't realize they played today well life savings on the connecticut sun you guys heard it here first Get those tickets in now. Uh, also joining us today, hopefully not a degenerate gambler, it's actually a new guest, Matt Zitka, uh, president of the Midnight Riders. Matt, great to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hopefully I pronounced your name correctly. You did. Yeah, you did a great job. Although it would have been an honor to, to join the great ranks of players um, who have had their names mispronounced on this program, but you, you, you did it right. So You know what? There, this is a long show, Matt, and I, you know, I, I'm one for one so far, but you know, I'm still working on Tristison. That's really my, my head and my yeah. mouth are still confused at the spelling and the pronunciation of that game. Jake, I know you're still kind of uh, Carlin, Carla, Carlos Hill over there, so you know, it's a long show, so uh, I'm not counting this as a victory just yet. Matt, uh, before we begin, I actually wanted to talk to you about how, you know, you're president of the Midnight Riders. You're actually the first person from a supporters group to, to be on this show, or at least, uh, you know, a high-ranking member of a, a supporters group. I wanted to ask you about uh, how you got involved in the Midnight Riders and uh, what you guys at the Midnight Riders are, are doing right now. Um, I know you have a clean sheets for clean sheets uh, kind of fundraiser going on. So uh, can you just talk about how you got involved in the Midnight Riders and your clean sheets program? Yeah, so I've been a fan of the Revs um, since the team started when I was a small child. My parents started taking me to games around the time they started. Um, I just always felt kind of drawn to the energy of the fort. And so as the years went on, I just inched closer and closer. And um, yeah, by the time I was a teenager, I was in the fort as much as possible. And then after college, um, you know, became more formally involved with the riders. And then all of a sudden, several years later, I found myself president. Not sure what happened. Um but yeah, and yeah, we have this uh, great uh, pledge drive going. Um, if you go to midnightriders.com, it's it's the first item right there at the top uh, called clean, clean Sheets for Clean Sheets. Um, and so you pledge a dollar amount for every clean sheet the revs earn, and that money goes to uh, Massachusetts Coalition for the Homeless, a bed for every child initiative, which is a really cool program. Um, yeah, we're we're, we're Really, really proud of that one. That um, our our five hundred one c three charitable organization has been has been running that for a couple of years now. It's been a, a big a big hit. So, and as a yeah. as as a pro Matt Turner podcast, we love clean sheets here. So even more reason to root for a clean sheet. So uh, make sure you go check out uh, the Midnight Riders at midnightriders.com. Check that out, and I'm sure it's also up on their social media as well. So um, Matt, 
Since you're the new guy, I'll, I'll go to you first. What is your key takeaway from yesterday's 3-1 win against New York Red Bulls? My key takeaway is Bo is back. Um, Gustavo Bo just looked really confident and was just a little more um, in, involved with more facets mess of the game. Just looked comfortable in, in his role in a way that we haven't really seen so far um, this season. I feel like he just seemed a little disconnected from the rest of play. And, and in this game, he was really influential, even, even aside from the goal, which obviously was, was, was a big moment. So yeah, Bo, Bo looks good. That's really a really good sign because uh, he's obviously a very streaky player. Uh, so hopefully they can ride that for a little while now. Yeah, and one thing that's interesting is that I, I think I kind of gave Gustavo Bo a hard time because he wasn't getting a lot of shots off. He wasn't being very much involved in the game and he still only got two shots off in this game. And my previous take, uh, which might be a little bit outdated now, and I'm kind of eating some crow on, I, I ate some crow on it from some people on social media, is that Gustavo Bo, you know, you want him to take a, a lot of shots, and he still only had two shots in this game, but he had seven key passes, he had an 81% pass accuracy, and Sean Donahue, my co-host who is not here uh, this week, tweeted out a stat that Gustavo Bo's expected assists over the past two years are, you know, easily first on the team, uh, you know, expected assists above assists. And so I think I've come around in the past week, even before this game, that he I might be underrating him as a passer and as someone who is able to move the ball and attack uh, that well, because normally I look at his pass accuracy, it's normally not very good. Um, but he, he certainly seems to be doing very well. And yeah, yesterday against the New York Rebels, even before the red, or the red card, but also more so afterwards, um, once he had some space, once with the counterattacks, he was really hitting on all cylinders. Um, 49 touches yesterday, a goal, an assist, an 8.78 who scored rating, probably man of the match. Uh, Jake, any thoughts on Gustavo Bo and Bo being back? Yeah, it's, I, I think it's nice to see Bo adjust to being the lone striker. I think against Atlanta in particular, I think he was, he started the game up top by himself and it didn't go very well. Um, but Atlanta's very similar to Red Bulls. I think a very compact defensive team. So Bo being able to, particularly with more space after the red card, sort of open up passing lanes, work back to goal, something we haven't really seen him do that much. That's usually reserved for, um, Adam Buxka's skill set. Um, but to, to see Bo get involved, you know, off the ball and, and in the possession game, um, which the Revolution were mostly dreadful in the first 30 minutes, uh, very, very refreshing change of pace. Um, and it really, you know, gives Bruce a lot of options of, hey, I can I can play Bo up top by himself. I can play Books up top by himself. I can pair them together, you know, really, you know, enhances the flexibility when when both of those players are able to to either work off the rest of the team or off of each other. And we've, we've seen them kind of sort of do a little bit of both in the past couple of weeks. And the Rebs have paid dividends with, with two big wins. Yep. And this four, two, three, one with Gustavo Bo has paid off the last two weeks, not just with Bo starting, but Adam Buxa coming off of the bench with two goals from Adam Buxa in the past two games, uh, despite the limited minutes uh, that obviously is going to be adding a little bit more to the striker controversy and how to play your attackers. We got some questions. Uh, David Sibillian asks us, is Buxa better coming off the bench than starting? Is Bo playing well enough uh, and is chemistry good enough to hold off Adam Buxa from starting? Uh, and then Misha also asks us, Buxa or Bo up top? Does Bo have, an, uh, and on top of that, does Bo have another place in the starting lineup, if not up top at that striker position? Uh, Bruce Arena actually made some comments on 98.5 the other day where he mentioned that it sounds like they're going to be rotating uh, players in and out. They might be doing some one striker formations, some two striker formations. Um, 
but most importantly, they're going to have Carlos Hill in the middle of the field. I know they've kind of shifted him in and out depending on what formation they're playing, but it sounds like Hill's in the center of the field, but it's still kind of up in the air over who's playing up top. So, uh, Matt, I'll head to you. What do you think, as of now, is the solution for up top? Do you think it's Adam Buxa, Gustavo Bo? Do you think you, you play them together in a two-striker formation? What's the answer? I think it's um, Gustavo Bo for now. And I say that as uh, one of the, the world's biggest Adam Buxa apologists. Um, big big Adam Buxa guy. But, I, I, I mean, clearly Buxa coming off the bench is, is working well. Um, I would, and yeah, but the 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 four four two setup just it, it was tough to generate chances um, so far this year. In that, with Carlos coming in from the right, it just the the shape just wasn't sorting itself out in the way that it had last year when they played that sort of formation. Um, so so good adjustment by Arena. Um, I would like to see them still both at the same time a couple of times, which I think we saw a little bit at the end of the game um, last night where. Bo was playing more as an inverted left winger and Buxa as a center forward. I think that could be a solution for how to get them both on the same on the field at the same time. Um, obviously, you lose then either Tristesen or Buchanan, but I think the schedule is going to get so dense after these international breaks that I think it'll kind of sort itself out. There'll be plenty of time to to rotate and get everyone on the field and try these different things. Um, but yeah, I think for now, it, it, I think I think Bo's the guy at center forward, um, or at least, I mean, there's only one more game until things <laughs> that stop. That is true. Us, so at least for next week, we, <laughs> I think we should start Bo again and then reconsider after that. We're, we're talking about the, the FC Cincinnati game, and to be honest with you, I think they could put Justin Rennox out there and we should score at least three. So think about me out there true. and we should be scoring three. So um, Jake, well, I'll kick it to you. What do you think the solution is at striker for the foreseeable future? I, I, I'm going to go back to the old wheelhouse here. It does not matter who's starting up top as long as Carlos Hill is playing in the middle of the field at my beloved center attacking midfield position. Edward Kizik can start up top. Rennix can start up top. Bo, Buxa, Bunbury. Um, heck, bring Christian Pena back. Put him straight there at number nine. It, it doesn't matter. As as long as, as Gill is the one pulling the strings in the middle and the Revolution are able to break out in, in transition, I mean, we saw Bo and, and Buxa absolutely just torch Um that Red Bulls back line. I understand it's the 83rd minute. I understand Books has got fresh legs, but um, that was some pretty impressive breakaway speed there by Adam Books. I did not know that he had that uh, in him um, holding down that, uh, that uh, right trigger on that sprint button all the way to the middle of the field. Um, so, you know, I think combination wise, um, as, as long as, as if they're on the field together and they're combining or if they're operating separately and, and one's coming off the bench, I think the rotation is going to be important to keep everyone healthy. Um, and and fresh going going into the later stages, um, the the schedule in uh, after the break and in, in June into July is quite brutal, and there's a bunch of road games coming up. So um, you know, I think Bruce is going to have to really do a good job of of balancing uh, the starting lineup and then using his subs more effectively than he has been, Bruce, because Gill didn't fit should have been off the field in the 80th minute. But I digress. Yeah, we're, we're foreshadowing another part. We, we had a question about that coming up, but let's take a step back because I do want to talk about something Matt touched on, which is uh, Bo potentially as an inverted winger. And I, I kind of like that idea too. And I think we'll see him in that kind of role a little bit. And that kind of gets to Misha's question of, does Bo have another place in the starting lineup, if not up top? Um, I, I think Bo is very dangerous away from goal. I know that it seems like 
the first few games, this first month, they've tried really to get Gustavo Bo closer to goal. And I, I think him kind of being further out outside of the box. I think I've said this in the past few few podcasts, but I'm not opposed to having him be that kind of, you know, inverted winger um, and kind of be a little bit further out and have Adam Buchs as your kind of natural center forward. Um, and I, I think that's something that we will see eventually. I think that will probably get Gustavo Bo more shots, which I think will lead to more goals by him. Uh, but based on yesterday's game, which I'm not putting too much emphasis on because they did have a man advantage for two thirds of the game. Uh, you know, everything looked great yesterday. I don't think you can really complain too much about how Tayon or Tristison or Gustavo Bo played. So even though Adam Buxa does have two goals in the past two games, um, I, I think Gustavo Bo playing that center forward role, um, we're going to see that another week, see how it goes against Cincinnati. And I, I'm sure it'll have good results too. Um, everyone's playing really well. And actually Cameron had another question. Cameron on Discord asked us, did the Revs finally have a selection issue with too many attackers? Um, mm-hmm. I think we'd all agree with that statement that they, 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 they have too many had, cooks in the kick. They've always had that issue. Yeah, they, they, they have they've, many... they've always had that issue. It's, it's, it's always been, you've, you've got X number of positions for striker, two wingers and, and, and Carlos in the middle. So you, you've got, it's effectively two lineup problems. Who are your, you know, holding midfielders or center midfielders behind Carlos Heel? And then who are your two wingers and who's your striker up top? And if it's any combination of Buxa, Bo, Bunbury, um, McNamara has been, been closing out games on, on the left-hand side. There's so many options for the revs, particularly off the bench. Um, it's, it's a tremendous problem to have. And that's the depth that we're going to lean on for the next three to four months and hopefully keep that that depth is what's going to keep us at the top of the standings from here on out. Yes, your stars are going to be the ones that get all the headlines, but the depth is the one that's going to give you the flexibility to, you know, really control the, the tempo and the pace of the season from game to game. I was going to say, I haven't even mentioned Teal Bunbury yet, and Teal Bunbury does still play soccer to the surprise of people at the Brotherly game. <laughs> we've, we've talked about, I mean, Bo is back. I'm really excited to talk about that. But, Jake, I also want to talk about your key takeaway. Uh, what did you take away from yesterday's win? I, I took away that, that the Iceman, Arnold Tristison, is, is on the score sheet um, with a pair of helpers. Uh, you can argue that the second one, he, he didn't really have a whole lot to do. Um, because it was all pretty much Buchanan as a one-man show down the uh, left flank. But um, there's a lot of little subtle plays on that. Buchanan on the overload, um, Bo on the hold-up play, and then three runners into the box. Um, and and poor, poor Red Bulls keeper leaning away from his near post. That's a rookie mistake. Uh, you can't can't do that. Um, but I, I really enjoyed uh, uh, Tristison in particular. To, I thought it was one of his better games. Um, as far as getting not just himself involved, but his teammates involved. I often have said the left flank is where a lot of Rebs attacks end up going to die because the left flank just doesn't have the same support because Carlos Hill's on the other side of the field. So it's difficult for that flank to get involved when they're sort of isolated from your best player. But now that, you know, Carlos is in the middle and the the ball is switching all the time, um, sometimes to the other team right away, but the ball is switching all over the place when the Rebs get it back. Um, you know, it's, it's a very, very high tempo uh, kind of a uh, counterattacking sort of system. And I, I think that, uh, that Arnold does, does a fairly good job at that. I don't think the passing numbers are always there, um, but the vision and the ideas and uh, are, and, and when you have a couple of strikers like Bo and Buxa and a playmaker like, like Carlos Seal, having a player with that kind of sort of ability and that sort of, you know, vision uh is is a tremendous asset and i think we're starting to see the, the chemistry from everyone involved um play out here a month into uh, two months into the season yeah and and in tristison's case too i feel like he needed this game 
I feel like a lot of people were a little restless. I think last game, I believe it was last game, he scuffed the shot after Gustavo Bo kind of uh, moved him into the, the penalty area, and he, he didn't get all of that shot and probably should have been a goal. So I think for him to come out, get on the, the stat sheet with two assists in this game, um, even though, as you know, as he said, that, that Tejan assist, you know, really that was uh, Tejan's, uh, you know, doing for, for most of it. But uh, overall, a really, really good performance. Two assists in 61 minutes, an 8.4 uh, rating on foot mob. Um, Overall, I thought it was a pretty good performance, and I think that's going to take some some pressure off of his back. We talk about Buxa going a few games without scoring, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about if he looks frustrated, if he doesn't, you know, look comfortable out there. I think this was a game that Tristison needed uh, as he adjusts to MLS. Um, Matt, do you have any other thoughts on uh, Tristison? No, just yeah, um, I agree that the the expectations were high. I think. Um, <laughs> People were, I think, a little impatient with him for someone who didn't have a preseason, basically stepped off of the plane and onto the fields for his first game. So I think we're finally starting to see him get used to his teammates and find find, find the right spaces. So it's, it's looking promising. Yeah, that's a good point. He did not have a preseason. And unlike FIFA, he uh, there's a little bit of an adjustment time. The games aren't played on paper. So uh, there's there's still a little bit of that. I mean, and... and you know, we, we talked about Adam Buxa last year coming over in COVID and really need, I, I do believe that it took him, you know, a few months to really adjust with all of the, the changes going on. I'm sure Tristan, even though, you know, it's a normal quote unquote schedule, uh, there's still a lot of challenges traveling to the United States, traveling internationally and getting acquainted with a new team. So, uh, yeah, very good point there. We did get a question from Jay Hondo who says, why can't Tristan, a right footed player play on the right and heal a left footed player play on the left? Uh, Jake, I'm going to go to you first because I think you're going to be really uh, angry about the suggestion to move heel from the center. But uh, why do you think that this wouldn't work? <laughs> or, and actually, maybe I'll, I'll rephrase it. Um, why can't? Would you rather see Tristison move to the right side? Oh, I mean, I think I think they do that a little bit. I mean, like you, you saw on on Buchanan's goal, all three of those guys ended up basically being on the entire left flank. That was the overload that created the chaos that allowed Tejan Buchanan's one on one, you know, victory. And then subsequent goal, um, we can call it shoddy goalkeeping. We can call it um, Tejan's brilliance. It doesn't really matter. Um, you know, the, the players are going to move around. The starting formation is a guideline. It's not a set thing that's in stone. I, I think ideally you want Tristis in the play. I think he's probably got the best service from that side of anyone not named Carlos Hill. Um, and we've seen Buchanan pretty much favor the right-hand side. He prefers the right-hand side. Um I remember the disaster that was the Chicago game where he started on the left. That didn't really go all that well. Um, so I, I think it's it's a matter of keeping people in their comfort zones. I think pretty much right now, the starting formation that you see, where the strikers are, where the wingers are, um, where Carlos Hill is, that's the comfort area for the revolution. So it's not so much that they can't switch sides. It's that for the most part, um, it takes the revs out of their comfort zone when they do switch. And you know, if they are switching like that, it means that they're trying to either A, exploit something the other team is doing, or B, the other team is doing something that they're unhappy with. And then you're reacting to something else, which is usually not a good thing. So, um, you know, I think as long as the revolution keep it simple, um, play their style, which I'm sure we'll talk to about a little bit here, um, that's, that's what's the key for the revolution. It's not so much which side the wingers are, where the service is coming from. It's just a matter of their, their style, their counterattacks and things like that. Uh, Matt, anything to add on that point there? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It um, it has a lot to do with just how like certain wingers are deployed in the modern game, where 
Um, it used to be that your outside midfielders would just kind of, you know, hug the sideline and whip in crosses, and a lot of teams just don't play like that anymore. So you you do want the right-footed Tristan on the left because when he's going out a defender, he's cutting in onto a stronger foot to, to, to make a key pass, potentially get an assist, or if he wants to take a shot on goal, he, his, his body is already in a position to do that. The Reds aren't really a team that, that rely on crosses. Um, so, but yeah, it's a type of, of, of players those players are where they're more, they're more, more well-rounded playmakers, less just like bomb down the sideline and cross, like, like say Ethan Finley on Minnesota United, who is just, extremely vertical like you wouldn't want him playing on on the, the his this weaker footed side because he's not the kind of player who's going to cut into the middle of the field and try to make that final pass or take a shot he's he's just trying to you know get go straight down the sideline whipping across so it's, it's a style thing but yeah I, I, i'll also say too that and I, and I mentioned this before but if you ask bruce arena about a formation in a press conference He's going to roll his bad. eyes at you and say, "That's just how they start the game." <laughs> isn't isn't the opposite winger thing like when you particularly for hockey? Don't you want your your left handed shooter on the right and the right handed shooter on the left specifically to be on that stronger side on the yeah. forehand side of the shooting? So I, I think it's similar. Yeah. I think it's the same principle as that. Where it doesn't really matter. You can shoot either way, but obviously the stronger foot does help. We got some we got some women's basketball and we got some hockey analysis in this podcast. We got a little bit of everything today. I swear to God, if the Whalers don't get eliminated from the playoffs by Nashville, I'm going to be very upset at Nashville. It's one thing to beat my soccer team. It's another thing to allow the NHL team that shall not be named to advance in the playoffs. Wait, who are they playing, Nashville? They're playing Nashville, yeah. Well, go go Carolina. But anyway. How dare you, sir? Ouch. Going, back to, going from ice hockey back to the ice, man. <laughs> the thing with Tristison is, is that he does kind of drift into the center areas too. And so I think he, he fits in kind of touching to both of your points that – Tristison does kind of play that pinching into the center a lot. And he, he's kind of very flexible. And I think he allows Carlos Hill to run out to the wing if Carlos Hill wants to go out to that mm-hmm. space. And I'm, I'm also very curious when Kristen Mafla ever gets healthy, you know, I'm very curious to see how that uh, dynamic works where when you're going to have Mafla making uh, overlapping runs, because even though, as you mentioned, Matt, even though wingers don't really go vertical, especially, you know, the way the revs play, uh, I, I would expect Christian Mafla to maybe run down into those corner areas and, yeah. and kick and crosses. Yeah, and I think that him and Tristan, you know, Tristan might be cutting inside to allow Mafla to make those runs, but yeah. we'll, we'll see if, again, that's a big if, if we ever see Mafla on the field. Uh, my, my podcast where I declared him diamond legs really uh, aged poorly that aged like milk. So, <laughs> Uh, I don't really have a big key takeaway, uh, but I do want to talk about Carly's heel not coming off yesterday because I thought that was a bit ridiculous. He went down the first time, you know, looked a little bit concerning, seemed to have just shaken it off. It happens. Players get cramps. Then he went down a second time, and that's when my heart kind of sank. I thought a sub was very much necessary. I think that if you are up a man... You can probably hold off that, you know, hold a 2-1 lead without Carlos Hill on the field. I feel like you don't need him at that stage in the game. Uh, and if you do concede down a man, then you don't deserve the points anyway. Matt, were you having heart, uh, heart palpitations like me as well? Uh, what, did you think Bruce Arena oh, made the right decision or, or, or where were you on that? Oh, I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> After the, for the first time he grabbed his foot, I was like, let's get him out of here. I think Bruce was waiting for that, that third goal. And then that third goal came so late, it didn't matter. But yeah, I think if they had scored the third goal, say the 60th minute, they would have they would have been a little quicker to get Carlos out of there. But I think they really wanted that insurance goal, um, and it just 
a couple a couple good saves, a couple of bad finishes, and then it felt like we were waiting on that third goal forever. And I'm sure Bruce Arena was like, "Well, the third one's coming around the corner," and so he was just giving Carlos a little, a couple minutes right. more, a couple minutes more, a couple minutes more, and it kind of morphed into the whole game. Uh, Jake, what did you think? Uh, did you think Keel should have been pulled off that game? Yeah, I, I think the second the second he sort of pulled up on, I think it was the first, I think it was about the 77th minute. Um, I can't remember if it was Tristison or and Bo, but basically there was a shot. And uh, he was the one trailing in on, onto the back post. Once he pulled up from that, there's just no point in, in, in having him continue because you're going to have three or four or more of those type of breakaway runs. We see him do this every game. It's, it's, it's fantastic um, where he gets the ball in the middle of, you know, 80 yards. There's one defender who he, you know, completely NS, you know, not suitable for work, undresses in the middle of the field. And we play gifts of that all week until he does it again the following week. We didn't need to see that this week. The Revolution had that game in hand. You know, you you can't you can you know absolutely you know lose Carlos Hill for a month in the middle of summer. That's going to cost you points. Um, if if this knock turns into anything substantial, um, you know he took a very very hard hard step from uh, Andres Reyes in the thirty uh, eighth minute that drew the uh, second yellow into the red card uh, for that defender. And, you know, that that was the first thing that I was thinking of. Either it's the, the old injury or it's, you know, hey, after being stepped on for 75 minutes, it's time to get Carlos Hill off the field. And that's if, you know, that's how you protect him late in games uh, from those types of uh, those types of blows by giving him those those few minute spells. And you have the midfield depth and the striker depth to make it work without him for 10 or 15 minutes. And one thing that the second time it's, it's worth knowing, the second time he went down, it was non-contact which is usually a really bad sign. Yep. So I think that was another thing that's it's worth mentioning is that he went down really untouched and seemingly shook it off. Maybe, again, maybe just a cramp or something like that. Uh, Bruce Arena said after the game, uh, he talked to Carlos Hill. He's fine. Seems like Carlos Hill was also shaking off a potential sub. Uh, I think they said that on the broadcast yesterday that Carlos Hill was not even like looking over. He kind of shook him off. Um, Christian Matthews asked us on Twitter, how worried should we be about a serious heel injury? Uh, so even though Bruce Arena said, no, you know, he's fine. He should be good to go. Uh, are we worried, Jake? I'm going to ask you how on a scale of one to 10, how worried are you that something's wrong here? I mean, you know, long term, I'm not worried. I mean, in the middle of the game, I'd say it was about an eight, which for me would have been, I don't care if Carlos Hill wants to stay on the field. I'm the head coach. I'm taking him off, you know, long term. You know, if he says he's fine, it, it's just you know, regular knock or just, you know, a little bit of a bruise or something from, you know, getting stepped on one of the, you know, 30 times it happens or game, you know, then I'm only at like a three, um, you know, but the, you know, the, the way that you keep this in check from game to game is Carlos Hill does not need to play 90 minutes every game. Once you've got the game in hand, that's how you, you know, protect your stars. You, you get them off, you get them a few minutes of extra rest and you bring in, you know, other guys to help close out the game. That's why you have Bunbury coming off the bench to just press the snot out of everyone. Tommy McNamara, same thing. Um, Scotty Caldwell can't even find the field. Um, and this is a team that's bad in possession. You'd think you'd want your possession guys on the field late to help close out games and things like that. So, uh, you know, the revolution have the tools to make this work. Um, and I'm, I'm going to keep harping on this until Bruce doesn't annoy me in the final 15 minutes of a game. I swear it'll happen once this year. It'll happen once. Matt, how worried are you about a serious Carlos Hill injury? Um, coming out of this game, I'm not worried that that his his little knocks really amount to much. Um, if, if anyone saw his girlfriend's Instagram uh, today, Carlos looks looks pretty fine. Um, <laughs> doesn't doesn't seem too stressed <laughs> out. So 
No, uh, but in the in the in the bigger picture, I think that that is a concern. Is is um, managing his minutes coming off a year where he's injured and just getting keeping him away from just brutish behavior by opponents. I feel like um, the word is out that if you're playing the Revs, the game plan is just to kick Carlos Heel over and over and over. Um, and so it'd be nice if they could they could spell him for a little bit and save him a few of those kicks to the shins that every opponent's defensive midfielder is aiming for this season. If you can't beat him, beat him. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, and one thing I think if my worry level is probably around a two or three like you guys, too. It's it's not a past Bruce Arena to downplay something and, and then it comes out later that it's something big down the road. But, uh, you know, if Carlos Heel is deking someone in stoppage time like he did last night on, you know, one good leg, uh, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. So I, I, I think we, what we saw from him in the final minutes was pretty good. He seems to be fine. You know, I, I'm full trust in the revolution. I think after having him out for most of the season last year, they would know that if there is something wrong, they won't mess around. But I expect him to be in the starting lineup next week. Maybe if they build up a lead uh, against Cincinnati, which they should, knock on wood. Um, may, maybe we see 60 minutes out of Carly Seal going into the international break, but who knows. Um, we do have some questions here about the central midfield. The attack is not the only area with some, uh, you know, controversies. Uh, so last night we saw Captoom back in the lineup. Maciel was not in the 18. I don't know if, uh, actually I missed it. Can one of you guys tell me, did, why was Maciel not in the 18? Was it injury or do you guys know? Uh, offhand, I don't know. I didn't see anything, okay. um, but I wasn't, I was out, yeah. <laughs> I was in the tailgate lot, so I wasn't really following too closely what, what was uh, going I, on around the lineup. I probably should know that as the person who was preparing this uh, podcast, but I failed at my job this week. I apologize. But Maciel not in the 18 this week. Captoom back in. Seemed to have a pretty good game. So Randy asks us, what's our best central midfield pairing between Polster, Captoom, and Maciel? He says he leans between Maciel and Polster. Uh, and then also David Civilian asks us, our thoughts on Captoom? Uh, so Matt... I'll give you uh, the the question here. Uh, you know, what's our best central midfield pairing, and what do you think of Captoom after his performance yesterday? Yeah, Captoom looks fine. Um, there was no no glaring mistakes. So I think is what you're looking for from from the player next to Polster. Just just you know, smart passing, good passing. So I still I still think um, Polster and Maciel might actually end up being our best center midfield pairing when all things are are said and done. We'll see. I mean, Captoom still still not fully fit, so. Maybe maybe next week will be this big breakout performance from him in a, in a way that we're not expecting. But yeah, I liked what I saw, but I I, I really liked Maciel. So Maciel is still my preferred partner for Polster at the moment. Jake, what's your preferred pairing in the central midfield? Yeah, I, you know what? I I don't know if I if I necessarily have one yet. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's 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 very clear that Matt Polster has has come in and and pretty much solidified his spot, which is again a tremendous little emergency signing from last year and, and it's doing wonders still for the revolution. Um, I think it's sort of just riding sort of the inform hand, very similar to, to the strikers. Um, you've, you've got several good options at that spot. Um, you know, Luis Casado hasn't also gotten a lot of minutes yet. Scotty Caldwell yet to see the field in 2021, which is stunning to me. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, good options there and whether it's a platoon between, Captoon and Massiel alternating between starts. I think you're going to see, for the most part, that spot do exactly what it's been doing. Recycle the ball, good, smart passes, a lot of recoveries, a lot of, you know, sticking a lot of foots in, uh, winning some duels, but nothing, you know, nothing egregious, very, you know, 
let let Polster be the more aggressive of the, the two holding midfielder center midfield spots and have that sort of be the the partner one. Maybe he maybe that's the person that stays back. Let Polster range forward or vice versa. You know, there's there's nothing that's not a position that needs to do anything more than it's already been doing. It is as long as as long as that spot is playing that support role, moving the ball around effectively. That that's what the Revolution need from that spot because they're they're not a great possession team. There's a lot of bad passing numbers. When you look at the revolution, particularly from the attackers, a lot of a lot of the wingers, Tristison, Buchanan, I think we're below 60%. So you need those holding midfielders, those center midfielders to be effective at passing the ball. As long as someone's doing that, I don't really think it matters who's in that spot. Well, you're you're leading into the stat that I found this week that it might be outdated because this is before this week's game. But Massiel, uh, if you don't follow us on Twitter, you missed this neat little stat. But Massiel through last week had a 92.22% uh, pass mm-hmm. accuracy, 154 for 167 uh, through his first four games. Sixth best, best pass accuracy in MLS uh, of people who have attempted 100 passes. And fourth best among players who have attempted 150 passes. So Maciel at a 92% clip uh, in pass accuracy mm-hmm. is a very, very solid possession midfielder from what we've seen so far. Again, short sample size, four games. Um, and, and you know, Captoom yesterday, I think he had an 87% pass accuracy clip. Uh, so, yeah. you know, also very good on the ball, I'm sure. But I think I'm leaning towards a Matt Polster, uh, Massiel pairing because I, I think I've been a little bit more impressed with Massiel so far than I've been with Captoom. I, I do think Captoom does have a role on the team. And, and you know, we've talked about rotation. We're going to talk about how dense the schedule is. So we're going to see some rotation. Um, but I, I, it, it's going to be a bit of a competition between those guys. And I, I think it's wide open, to be honest with you. I'm, I've really been impressed with what I've seen from Massiel. Hopefully he's not hurt. Hopefully, uh, you know, I know he missed that first game. So, you know, hopefully it's a, a minor injury. But yeah, I, I think Massiel Polster is the way to go. It's, it's interesting, too, because I think we all in agreement that Polster has locked down his spot. Is, does anyone think that we're going to see someone dethrone Polster anytime soon? I would not expect to see that, though. Polster mm-hmm. has looked really solid. Um, it was, I, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of players on the roster that are the same sort of style of player. I guess Kaiseido would be the closest, but yeah, I, Polster looks really good. No, yeah, just, I, I think it's more of like at some point I would like Polster to, to, to get some rest, um, whether that's Tommy Mack gets a start. I think Tommy Mack and, and Kaiseido would be the most comparable to that more, quote unquote, I would say, I don't want to say enforcer, um, but that more I can eat this yellow card and make you know that I'm here kind of sort of uh, holding midfielder type. And I think at some point, you know, Matt Polster shouldn't be playing, you know, 6,000 minutes this year, as much as, you know, impressive as it is every time uh, Andrew Farrell does it. But yeah, I, I think, you know, you have, you have this depth. I keep harping on this. You have this depth. You should utilize this depth. And, and, and whether that's week to week, you give the wingers or the fullbacks some breaks. One week you're focusing more on the center forwards and, and the holding midfield is just making sure that all of your, your groupings week in, week out are you know, rested, fully fit. Nobody's carrying knocks. Um, you know, if Massiel had any sort of little, like, you know, ah, maybe I, you know, I had a little bit of a knock. That's okay. We've got four other guys who can do what you do. Maybe not as well, but pretty darn, pretty darn close. Um, we don't need you this week. You get healthy. You know, next guy goes in, you know, the revolution can afford to do that from week to week because of the depth that they have. So if that means Polster has to get a spell and and take a week off, that's fine. We're more than capable of of handling that um, and, you know, giving guys, you know, the week off that they need for for rest here and there. Yeah, I I was going to say outside of rest, I'm not sure why you would sit Polster Mm -hmm. at this point because he's been very good this season. I think that's been a home run acquisition for uh, Bruce Arena so far, arguably 
Well, no, Gustavo Bo, but up there, up there as one of his best uh, acquisitions so far. Another person, while we're talking about depth rotation uh, and acquisitions by Bruce Arena, we got to talk a little bit about John Bell earning his third consecutive start here. Uh, there's a real mystery on what exactly is going on with Henry Kessler. Rally Rubs fan asks us that. Captain Obvious question, what is happening with Kessler rotation, rest, or something behind the scenes? So let me give you Bruce Arena's answer because Seth McComer of the Bent Musket asked him this yesterday. Arena said, first of all, we wanted to give him a chance uh, in the Philadelphia game. Uh, so we wanted to give him that chance. We've talked for sure about having three or four center backs that can play center, you know, in that position center back. So we've given John a chance. He's played well. He's done defensive. He's done well defensively. He's a good passer of the ball. We've got to get Henry back in the rotation a bit as well, because we think between those players, we have to have them all ready to play this year. We've made progress in getting John started now. We've got to keep Henry going, get his confidence back and get him on the field as well. So Bruce was asked this midweek. He kind of basically said they want to develop three players and they wanted to get John back-to-back starts to kind of get him accustomed to that schedule. Then John earned that third start here, which I think is kind of raising some alarm bells because three starts in a row seems like John Bell has replaced Henry Kessler in the starting lineup. So Matt, I'll go to you first. Obviously, we don't have any concrete evidence of what exactly is going here, but what do you think is going on here? Do you think that this is just a matter of rotation and developing John Bell like Bruce Arena says? Or do you think that potentially Henry Kessler is hurt and or has lost his spot. I, I think it was definitely initially a rotation thing, but I think John Bell was just a little too good. And now Bruce doesn't want to take him off quite yet. It's kind of riding, riding the hot hand, like we've suggested with some other positions. Um, I, I do think Kessler will be back in the starting lineup fairly soon. I just, in the same way he's talking about building up Kessler's confidence after the spell, I think it, w- it would be a dagger to Bell's confidence I think, to, to be taken out after a couple of really stellar performances in his first few professional games at the, the, senior, the, top, the top level here. But yeah, I think, I think having all three as, as viable options will be, will be big going forward when the schedule gets wackier um, after this break. Jake, what are your thoughts? Uh, is there something deeper happening here, or do you think this is just a matter of adding to the rotation and getting John Bell accustomed to MLS minutes? I think the answer. I think it's 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 a yes to to both questions. I, I think John Bell, from an athletic standpoint, uh, the Revolution, if we have not forgotten, are a horrendous set piece defensive team, and they do not have a lot of people who are very good or capable of getting up in the air and heading soccer balls away from Matt Turner's goal. Uh, John Bell is one of those people who can do that. Um, I, I don't want to say that he was the one who was quote unquote beat on the header in the ninth minute, um, but he was the closest guy there. Uh, and you know, Reyes just makes a, a better run and head at the ball. Um, but John Bell is there because he can get up and he can head the ball, and he's very good at doing that. Um, and he's improving on a lot of things very, very quickly. Um, just as m- much as we talked about Kessler really adapting to the game as a rookie, John Bell is doing the exact same thing. Um, you know, this year, uh, I don't think it's it's a knock on Kessler in any way, or or, or his skill or ability, or coming off the Olympics. It's I think just simply. John Bell right now is just what the Revolution defense needs more of. Um, as long as John Bell can keep up the passing numbers and the distribution, not make any glaring mistakes, um, you know he can he can stay in the lineup. You know the Rebs the Rebs back line you know is what it is. There's not a lot of you know extras there. It, it's you know four draft picks, five draft picks if we want to count Kessler in that group. You know and and that's you know we're gonna we're gonna trot out that group for the most part. Week in and week out, unless Mafla comes back, um, Buchanan gets a, a start at, at right back uh, every now and again. 
to make it six draft picks and Christian Mafla. So it's, you know, I think, I think that's just, that's really what it is, is that I think that's right. I think for a certain aspect, Bell has kept his job and, and he's earned the ability to continue to start. And I think he offers the revolution backline something that Kessler and Farrell just simply don't do as well as he does. And as long as he can maintain some of the other things, just as well as Kessler and Farrell can do distribution and things like that, he, he's, he can stay on the field and it's not going to cost the Rebs anything. It just means you probably have to figure out a way how to get Kessler on the field it does that mean andrew farrell gets a gets a, a rest every yeah. now and again something like I that think, yeah i think i think bruce arena really values farrell's leadership otherwise maybe we would have already seen mm-hmm. a kessler bell pairing but obviously when you do that it, you have four very young players across the back line mm-hmm. um so i don't i think i think bruce would be reluctant to take out farrell because he's such yeah. a, a leader there um though i would it would be fun to watch um, such a young center back pairing as, as Kessler and Bell. Maybe we'll maybe we'll throw that out against Cincinnati since Cincinnati's um, a, a fail team and a meme team, and it's it's a good opportunity to, to to throw out a young a young back line. I would love to see a center back pairing of two players who were selected in the 2020 MLS Super Draft. You know, hold down a clean sheet against the uh, fifth most expensive team in MLS. Uh, that would be a really fun thing to watch. Matt, to your point, actually, I think Bruce Arena, I don't know if it was on 98.5 or if it was during the midweek press conference, but uh, someone kind of asked about Farrell uh, and kind of this center back rotation. And basically, he, he said that where usually when you have young center backs, you want to pair them with a more experienced player like Farrell. So uh, I think your point is 100% correct and, and valid that, you know, when you're getting John Bell accustomed to starting an MLS, uh, you you want Andrew Farrell, the veteran there to help and guide him because there, there's going to be some com- communication that's along that back line uh, and, and you need as much experience as possible. Uh, real real quick, Henry Kessler or John Bell next week? Let's assume Andrew Farrell is starting. Actually, let's let's not. W- what do you think is the center back pairing? You think we're going to see a, a John Bell-Henry Kessler pairing? What do you guys think we're going to see next week? I think we'll see Bell and Farrell again, but I would I really want to see Bell in Kessler for the for this game just just to see what that looks like but I think it'll be the same as what we've done the last couple weeks yeah Bruce Bruce plays the hot hand so I would not be shocked to see the exact same uh pairing and I think that's just going to kind of add fuel to this fire of if Henry Kessler has been benched Uh, but getting back to your point Matt too I can't imagine Henry Kessler is going to go the rest of the year without seeing minutes just because of how well he played last year I don't think he's even done anything it's not like he's been turning in poor performances either so unless there's an issue that we know about uh, I, I think this is i'm, I'm going to take bruce's word assume that this is just john bell getting minutes establishing a third center back which the team did lack last year uh and and that's more or less all that is and i'm, I'm going to try not to look into it but it sure is tempting to especially if john bell gets to start next week and especially this is this is the more favorable part of the revolution schedule so if you're able to get john bell that experience uh and rack up wins before the schedule turns to uh, absolute uh, ridiculously levels of hard, uh, this is the time to do it right before the uh, international break here for why do we have an international break for Conable and the Euros? And we don't have one for the gold cup. I'm confused on that. Send, send that letter to Garber. Hey man. I, all right, whatever. Uh, one more note too, while we're talking about Andrew Farrell, uh, the revs uh, communications sent out the, their post game notes. And it did note that Andrew Farrell is now tied for fourth in team history and appearances. He now has 246 tying Chris Neary and Andrew Farrell has also passed Jay heaps for third most minutes played on the team. Uh, so Holy some pretty crap. crazy numbers. Wow. Andrew Farrell still looking to shatter those records potentially before he turns 31 years old. He, he could do it. He could do it. 
this kind of gets back to the attacking question. I probably should have asked this one a little bit earlier in the podcast, but uh, Revs fan slash Bostan on Twitter asked us, what formation should we go with? A 3-4-1-2, a 4-4-2, a 4-2-3-1? Uh, what formation do you guys think? Obviously, this goes with what personnel uh, we have lined up, but personally, I don't think the 4-4-2 kind of worked. I think we kind of touched on that earlier. I think that 4-2-3-1 works because uh, you have Carlos Hill in the center. I guess you could do run out of 3-4-2. Oh, boy, I'm getting all my numbers. <laughs> a 3-4-1-2. I, I guess the, the, that four, you know, uh, personnel yeah. still kind of matches there. Um, but I don't know. I like playing four in the back, so I'm going to go with a 4-2-3-1. Uh, what do you guys think? I think, so, yeah, I've seen that, like, 4-3, sorry, the 3-4-2-1 thrown around on Twitter a lot, and it's, it's fun to think about because it does make the center back conversation kind of solve itself. You just put all three there. Um, the problem is there's no there's no left wing back on this team. Like people like people in the in the their starting eleven graphics they were put in like Tristan or something. It's like that's a situation where someone's right footedness would would become a problem if you had to play as a wing back and be the only width for the whole field um, on that side. And unless Mothla is Mafla is healthy and very fit. I don't think there's really a player on the roster who would make sense as a left wing back in a in a, in a three person slash five person back line. So I don't I don't think we're going to see that. Even though it would be it would be cool to see all three of our um, thriving center backs on the field at once. But yeah, the four two three one it clearly puts the most amount of players in their best positions and. Yeah, Lee has been. It just looks best so far. How many super draft center backs can we get in that back line? <laughs> right, right. Uh, let's, Jake, let's let's oh, the record. Sorry, Jake. <laughs> uh, what formation would you want to go with? No, I mean the, the four two three one works. It's, it's the best personnel. I would still like to see at some point, um, maybe in the uh, semi-friendly posted step confines of Yankee Stadium. Uh, a diamond midfield where you where you do put Bowen books up top and you figure out, OK, well, the width is gone because the field is too darn small. Let's get all of our center midfielders out there behind, you know, Carlos Hill at some formation, put both strikers up front and let's just go have fun for 60 minutes and see if it works and then adjust and flip something around. I, I think what I'd like to see more from Bruce when the situation calls for it, um, the Atlanta game where, or where we were terrible and needed a late winner um you know things like that where it's hey it's not working but we can change around our personnel and change around our formations and start you know making the other team work a lot harder than they should be and really change the game that way we have the dynamics to do that i haven't seen new england do that yet this year they haven't really had to they've sort of been patient um you know use their big guys off the bench you know, let Adam, you know, if you've got someone like Adam Buxa coming off the bench scoring goals, that's going to be a formula for success because you can't have Bowen Buxa start with the one lone striker uh, up top uh, at the same position. So I, I think there's there's a balance the Revolution are still searching for. And I think later on you'll see the balance of, you know, hey, we can go, you know, five at the back, you know, add in Henry Kessler or John Bell late, um, you know, go, you know, have a flat five, have an extra holding midfielder. Uh, things like that that I think you'll see the revolution do later on when they're trying to hold on to games or vice versa. Chase games, drop a defender, add another winger up top and, and start you know creating some chaos. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And, and just to add on to the Christian Mafla update, uh, I, I know I've uh, been taking some shots at his uh, unavailability, but Bruce did say this week that he is healthy, he's working on his fitness, and they are hoping he is back in June. So hopefully the international break is coming, uh, you know, 
coming at a good time for him. Uh, I, I didn't hate him in his first uh, appearance. I, I thought he was pretty good. So maybe uh, this equation kind of changes when we see a little bit more from Christian Mafla, uh, but we'll have to wait until June to figure out those answers. Uh, moving on to some questions on Discord and twi- uh, Twitter. Cleggy on uh, Discord asks us, do you think Matt Turner or Tejon Buchanan gets the call for the Gold Cup? Jake, do you like your, their chances on uh, seeing some revs at the Gold Cup this year? I absolutely do. I, I think Tejon Buchanan, uh, coming off his Olympic run, absolutely deserves a shot with Canada. I, I don't know Canada's full depth chart um, offhand right now. Um, I, I know they're, they're, they're a lot better than where they were a handful of years ago when they were a, a dreadful national team side. But I, I, th- I think it's very likely that, that Buchanan gets a run out and, and sees – a handful of minutes, probably off the bench. Um, if Matt Turner goes, I don't know if he'd be the starter or or the number two. It really depends on what Zach Steffen's availability is. Or um, I don't believe I, Steffen would be um, available for a gold. Tower. That's, that's sort of the that. thing. So that's sort of the question now: is is Matt Turner? Your, if if you're the U.S. and you're going with a more MLS roster, is Zach Turner your number one? Or are you bringing over Ethan Horvath? It really depends on on what the roster management is. Is it more of a European-based roster? Is it more of an MLS-based roster? You know, we we could see an extended run of of Brad Knighton um, in in goal, which I mean, you know, is is something we you know we haven't set, seen in a while, but. Brad Knighton's as capable of a backup as there is uh, in MLS. Guy who's got, I think, over 150 starts, a uh, decent number of those with the Revs. So, you know, I, I think the Revolution are, are well equipped to to at least, you know, when you're losing Matt Turner or Andre Blake. Obviously, there's a step down, uh, it, it, but not necessarily, I think, as significant a one as people are going to think um, with, with Brad Knighton in net. Um, I'd, I'd be pretty okay with that for on and off a little platoon there without Matt Turner, but I'd love to see it. Um, I'd love to see Matt Turner in that. I really think he has a chance to solidify himself as the number two, or number three keeper for the world cup, um, which I think is the bigger, the bigger prize here. Wait, did you, how many, did you, how many starts did you say Brad Knighton has? Did you I thought he had over, I thought he had like 150. I think he has like, hang on. Um, this is a, this is a Googling in his uh, career. I think that's yeah. way wrong. Yeah, career, career. Yeah, he, he has a few with Philly and Vancouver also. 72. 70, I'm sorry. 72. Not, <laughs> all right. You doubled that. Oh, you know what? I, I was count. I, you know what? I think I was counting a whole bunch in the USL as well. So that, that might be, that might be throwing off the numbers here. Not to, not to, uh, not to call you out, but you threw out that number and it kind of blew my mind and I started doing math I and th- I'm like, I, either I think, you're looking I at the wrong I, number I, or you're, you're, I am looking at the wrong. I think I'm looking at his career totals, not his MLS totals. So I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a bad job. I mean, you might be looking at uh, goals allowed, uh, but anyway, I digress. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> uh, Matt, let's pull it back in, pull him back in, uh, Turner or Tayon, do you think they're going to get the call, uh, at the gold cup? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, but like Jake said, Canada's um, roster is looking better than it has in a while. But I do think for the Gold Cup, Tejan will find his way onto that roster. He's just been, been really good, and especially good for Canada. He was awesome with the U23s and Olympic qualifying. And I would be shocked if Matt Turner isn't the starting goalkeeper for the U.S. in the Gold Cup. Stefan's been sort of the go-to um, for most of, of these sort of European-based friendlies. So I haven't... There hasn't been a ton of time for Berhalter to look at Turner, and so I feel like the Gold Cup is going to be the perfect opportunity for, for Berhalter to really get to know Matt Turner and figure out where where he puts Matt Turner in the in the pecking order, which I think should be number one. But 
I, I'm not Greg Berhalter, so I'll leave that to him. I also feel like there's a lot of pressure on Matt Turner, too. Not that I'm a expert on the United States men's national team, but at 26 years old, I feel like Matt Turner got a late jump to the U.S. Uh, national team pool. Uh, pool. Uh, you know, he, he had that uh, PK save against Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I, I feel like this is a very important moment for him to get that experience, too. So I think they will bring him in because I, I think if there's ever a time to test Matt Turner and to see if he can be elevated to that number one role, I, I think that this is the tournament to do it at. Um, and if they don't do it, if they, he does not get a call, I'm very, very concerned. If, if he doesn't get playing, I mean, if he does get the call up, if he gets a call up and he doesn't play, uh, I'm very concerned about his future with the United States. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I fully expect them both to get the call too. So uh, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, Macho on Discord asks us, is Fortress Foxborough back? Matt, is Fortress Foxborough back? Back? Oh, I can't. I can't talk tonight. Hang on. Let me try again. Let me try again. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. All right. Yeah. Uh, the the power of editing. I'm going to forget to edit this out later, so all our listeners can laugh at me. But uh, Matt is fo- oh jeez. You know the question. Never mind. It's going great. <laughs> is Fortress, Fortress Foxborough back? <laughs> okay. Uh, Fortress Foxborough is absolutely back. Yes. Um, the, the, there's just something. Something about the the weirdness of Gillette Stadium uh, when there when there are people in there, it's just the revs really feed off it, and they, yeah, they're just unbeatable in Foxborough. Um, I I'd like to take credit, but um, I don't know how much I can take. Credit. Oh, take all <laughs> the credit. Take all the credit. Okay, okay, it's all because of the supporters groups. Yes, um, but yes, Foxborough Fortress Foxborough is indeed back. Um, yeah, no one, no one's coming in here and winning. As uh, one of the co-hosts of one of the top Revolution podcasts, I say that this entirely is because of the supporter groups and the return to Foxborough and to Gillette Stadium. And once all restrictions are lifted, I think the Revolution are become even more unbeatable at home uh, just because they feed off of that fan support. Uh, Jake, I assume you have no disagreements there. No, absolutely not. I, there was an interesting statistic. I think it was from Jeff Lemieux. Um, last year at home, the Revolution in like 10 games only had like 11 points total in Gillette. Um, or at home, I'm not really sure if they counted the MLS Cup as back home games. Um, but yeah, 4-0 four, four at home already. Is, that's, that's, again, you know, you always the old adage, win your home games, get some points on the road. You're going to advance in qualifying. You're going to advance in the in the regular season, et cetera. Um, you know the revolution. Uh, the the what the league does not want to see is, oh, we have to go into Revolution Stadium and and Re- Gillette Stadium and beat the Revolution. This is going to suck, and that's a bad news for the rest of the league because they already hate playing at Gillette. Now they're going to be playing at a Gillette Stadium with an informed team and uh, boisterous as we can crowd in uh, the friendly large confines of uh, 80,000, 70,000 feet. Uh, I think it's like 68, 68? 500 yeah. or something. Yeah. It, it changed when they built the bar on the, on the other end there. I'm not sure what it is now exactly. I have no idea. I'm not a Patriots fan. I have no idea. I think the real question here is, let's say hypothetically the Revs go perfect at home. No, no ties, no losses. Just every game at Gillette Stadium is a win. And obviously that is all due to the supporters groups. Matt, are you going to nominate yourself for Midnight Riders <laughs> Man of the Year? I, I think you have to. Yeah, um, if if the voting worked that way, I absolutely would. Um, but unfortunately, we, we that award is based on weekly man out of the match voting, so I don't think I'd be able to to rack up enough points over the course of the season to to contend with some of the the players on the team. I tried, I tried, but, but I mean, 
if we win, if we're winning that many home games, we're probably win the supporter shield, which we do get to keep. So that's that's even better. Yeah, a small a small consolation prize. I'm sure you, you guys are right. happy with. TSB11 on Discord says, another 30 minutes of sleepwalking to start a match. Do we just need someone to murder Matt Polster every game in order to play with passion? Uh, Jake, I'm going to... I'm gonna. All right, let's... Oh, go ahead. You know, let's talk, about the fi- let's talk about the five-minute boarding major here for just a second. We'll get on to the larger point. I am okay. I am okay with that only being a yellow card. I'm okay with that only being a yellow card. It looks a lot worse than it is because there are boards. Mr. Reyes... Very aware. I, I don't know why he needs to shove someone in the back that hard on the sideline with the ball basically already out of bounds. I don't get it. I've never gotten it. I didn't understand the second. It's just the same decision-making with the second yellow card. You don't need to do either of those things. I understand you want to be aggressive. You're very excited. You've scored a goal. Um, you have a lead. At, you have to lead at Gillette Stadium, and in seven minutes, you helped your team throw it all away by getting yourself sent off and allowing a goal. So it, we're going we're gonna to move on past that. Um I said this in, in my three thoughts article earlier today. I forget when I published it. Um, the revolution are a bad possession team. They are going to have bad starts. They turn the ball over a lot, particularly early in the games. They are trying to get forward and counterattack, and you're going to see a lot of sloppy possession and sloppy passes and giveaways. And it's going to be very, very frustrating until you get that one killer pass from Tristis into bow. And then the game is tied or the, the go ahead goal is scored. And then all is fine. Um, but you have to wait for that that one moment on the attack to wake up. It's not so much that you need to wait for someone to you know murder Matt Polster or foul <laughs> Carlos Hill. No, you don't need that. What you need is you need the attack to sort itself out, um, and you'd like that to happen a lot earlier than the 30th minute. You'd like it to happen a lot earlier than 20 minutes in in Colorado, and, and you, you don't want to see those kind of starts. You don't want to always be trailing the first half and have to work your way back. You want to get the game, grab it by the horns, go up in front, and control the pace and tempo of the game, and then find your 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 insurance goal a lot sooner as well. Revolution are finding their insurance goals 80th minute and onward. They need to be finding that goal around the hour mark, um, 70th minute, and and th- that'll help again with the same things of oh okay now the game's away we can pull off Bo or Buxa or Gil or, or Heel and and all those types of things, and and yeah it's it, all of that sort of flows in into one cycle um but yes no it's very frustrating the first 30 minutes um but you're it, you're gonna have to live with it it's just something we're gonna do i think a lot this year uh, matt what are your takes away from the slow start from the revolution yeah i think i think jake would be honest something in terms of just style of play and it, it taking a little while to get the wheels turning just because they're not that sort of possessiony team but i don't know i mean I'm I'm hoping that what we saw in the second half, um, when they knew they were up a, a player and could be more confident at numbers for I'm hoping that energy rolls over to, to future games because um, they just they they had a confidence um, in their ability to generate chances that we haven't really seen for 90 minutes, um, and maybe them just playing that way will kind of have, will, will trigger something in them and remind them that. They're all very good at soccer and should should really be on the front foot from minute one in terms of the, the talent level on the team. It, it's something Bruce stresses too. I think he said, uh, I think when he first came into the, the, the Rebs, he had some sort of mantra that was like first tackle, first shot, first goal or something something to that effect. Uh, but they've seemed to, to play it a little flat too. So maybe conceding at home against the Red Bulls you know, in, in 10 minutes is a, a big wake-up call. Um, you know, it, 
they, they don't seem to be falling behind, which is positive. I mean, I, outside of the Chicago game, which was a complete disaster, you know, I, I don't think they're conceding much. So I, I guess I got to give it to them a little bit there. But yeah, this is a team that we expect to be kind of a high flying offense that scores early and often. And I'm not sure we've seen that. Um, getting back to the murdering of Matt Polster, uh, Jake, I got to ask you about Bruce. <laughs> Bruce said after the game, he was fine with the, the murder being a yellow card. Uh, did you, are you okay with the yellow card? Or do you think you, that was a straight red? No, it's, I, I mean, certainly, again, it looks a lot worse because of the boards. Even the, even the NHL playoff officials are going to give that as a five-minute boarding major, I would hope. It's more. It's not so much that there's, there's an intent or a recklessness. Um, it's just unnecessary. It's careless. Um, in, in the definition of the laws, you know, careless is more defined as you don't really need to do that. You weren't doing it dangerously. You were just dumb or lazy or whatever word you want to use. And it just so happened there was enough force behind it that, you know, the only place Matt can go three feet away is into an ad board. And I hate to say it, Matt's a pretty big guy. Matt might, Matt might be the biggest guy in the field for revolution. So Matt's going to win that fight with that ad board pretty handily. Um, I think what, what if you're a Red Bulls fan, what you need to realize is someone on the Red Bulls team needs to pull Reyes aside and go, listen, hey, kid, <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're doing. Knock that stuff off. Because six minutes later, he basically does the exact same thing again. And he looks like incredulous, like, I didn't do anything. Guys, this is it is not 1980. You can't just go in and just barge through everyone, even by CONCACAF standards. You know, internationally, those I would hope would be yellow cards because they're really obvious. You shove someone out of bounds point blank on the sideline, and then you absolutely crush the guy two footed on a standing tackle. It's 2021. Those are going to be yellow cards. And you, you will find a handful of referees who will look at, I think, more so the second one um, when he kind of sort of jumps down on, onto, onto um, Heel's uh, ankle. That's one where you might actually say, hey, you know what? That's actually more dangerous than shoving someone into the ad boards because that's how you you know break bones and stuff. Um, the ad boards aren't always in every single position, so it's a little hard to judge you know, game to game, how those affect different stadiums and things. Um, I think the action of just shoving him out of bounds without the ball is, is what it is. It, it was a yellow card. It was, and I think, I think Bruce was right. Um, and the referee was right uh, on both accounts. Good so murder is just a yellow, according to Jake. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yes. That's, that's what Listen, playoff hockey, five minute major for boarding. I mean, I don't think we've seen one yet this year. 40 um, to life uh, in, in the court system, but only a yellow card on the <laughs> Uh, wrapping us up here, David Sibillian asks us, if Carlos Hill is an MVP candidate, how many goals does he need to score to become an MLS MVP? And I actually did some research, uh, and by that I just mean I, I, I pulled it up on my phone, uh, but I compared this to Lee Wynn's 2014 season. He had 18 goals but only five assists, so even that is not a great comp. Uh, for Carlos Hill, because we are going to see uh, more assists than goals probably from Carlos Hill this season. I will I will kick it to Matt first. This is a very tough question because obviously voters favor uh, the goal scorers. But what do you think uh, Carlos has to hit goal wise or goal plus assist wise uh, to win MVP? Yeah, it's tough to to find that exact number because, like you said, the voters do tend to be very goal centric on these things. I would I would expect him. To at least need to reach double digits to really be considered, unless he does something like break, like full on break the assist record, then may- maybe someone would notice that. Hey, Carlos Hill is the most valuable person on any team. He's really holding this thing together. Um, but yeah, probably probably d- double digits as at a, at a minimum to. And for, and for the record, I looked this up uh, before the uh, episode. The MLS record for assists is 26. 
uh, by Carlos Valderrama with the Tampa Bay Mutiny in 2000. And then I think second place is uh, there's two people tied at second for 20. So I think if he gets to the 20 assist threshold, we might be talking here. If he puts up a 10-20 season, uh, that might be good enough. But, um, you know, I, I think double digits minimum is a, is a very good threshold. Probably 15, probably, if we want to get in the conversation. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts? Do you think there's a magic number Carlos Hill has to hit? No, I mean, I, I think 10-20 would be a, a very good threshold. Um, I don't know if – I don't know if Carlos is going to score that many goals in open play. We'll have to sort of see. I mean, obviously, he's going to – He's going to score a handful from the spot if he's the designated PK taker. Um, I thought, did Pozuelo win it last year or two years ago? Um, he won I thought it last he, year, yeah. He had like a 10 and 10 type of season last year and, and he won it. And I, I thought that was very deserving. Um, you know, and I would classify him practically as a midfielder, at least an attacking midfielder. Um, so, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that it's impossible. Um, you know, 10 and 15 might do it in the long run, but I would like to think that he's probably going to have more than 15 assists, uh, Carlos Hill, um, if if the revolution strike rate starts going up here just a little bit. But I, it's a very interesting question. Uh, you know, if, if someone goes out, you know, if Chichiri goes out and scores, you know, 30 goals for the Galaxy, um, you know, it, what is the number that you have to make up? Would, would 10 and 20 be enough? Because then you've got 30, you know, 30 combined goals and assists going up against 30 goals and, and, you know, for me, the MVP award oftentimes is the Golden Ball Award. Who is the best player? Who had the best season? Um, if we're talking about who's the most valuable, um, I mean, you know, it's hard. It's hard for me to imagine the difference between 2020 for the Revs without Carlos Hill, 2021 with the Revs in Carlos Hill, and seeing yes, he's clearly more valuable than about 99.9% of players in the league. Um, but again, my my definition for that is very different than what the voters are. I think the voters are, are going to shade more towards the, the goal scores as they, they tend to do anyway, from a national standpoint. Um, but I think the way that Carlos Hill is playing and the attention that he's getting, particularly those, those gifts we keep highlighting at the end where he just completely does someone. Um, I think that those are going to be far more important than we, than we think here in the long run. If he's doing that every week, people notice those things, I think, with with the social media now. They see every week, you know, Carlos Hill in stoppage time, still playing, you know, full out, running the counterattack, leaving opponents in their in in the, his wake. Um, you know, th- those are things that'll, that'll help, you know, uh, create a lasting image as well as if the Revolution are the number one team in the East, supporter shield contender, make a good playoff, or all those sort of things kind of sort of help because I always sort of felt that, Lee Wynn kind of sort of got hosed because the Rebs, you know, weren't weren't as high of a seed as they could have been for some of those playoff runs. Uh, just for reference to, because uh, Pozuelo is probably the best comp. Uh, he he had nine goals and ten assists in twenty three games last year, uh, and so he he was still I think five goals off the pace of the Golden Boot. Uh, so he, he he still is bagging some goals a little bit. So maybe a fifteen fifteen season from Hill puts him in the conversation. Maybe a ten twenty season. I think goals plus assists might be a, a better metric. And I think, yeah, and it's, and it's so hard because last year is so hard to judge as well um, because last year. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think if you're going to see the types of the plays that Carlos Hill is making week in week out, even though he didn't have um, the same impact on the score sheet as say uh, uh, Tristanson did or Bo or Buxa did that, that week in week out, you're still seeing him as a dominant force. Um, I think, more people are catching on to the expected goals and expected assist numbers, which um, as we've seen the revolution are not <laughs> sometimes underperforming in those categories, mostly because I think, I think Carlos is just that amazing and generates ridiculous numbers. So. 
Yep. So, well, either way, I think he's in the MLS MVP conversation. He is getting some national attention, so uh, he's certainly on pace uh, to start the season. And he leads the league in key passes, which is also uh, a very good uh, indication. So uh, that wraps us up. Uh, Guys, Matt, I'll I'll start with you. Where can people find you on social media? Where can people find the Midnight Riders on social media as well? If you really want to find me, you can find me at um, at 321MattMattMatt on Twitter. I almost never tweet, though. I'm not really an interesting (laughs) follow. Follow the Midnight Riders instead. Much better account. We're at at Midnight Riders on Twitter, at Midnight Riders 1995 on on Instagram, um, and we're at MidnightRiders.com, where you can also sign up for a membership. It's only $10, very low barrier to entry, and that gets you into the cool tailgate lot where all the fun happens. And all that money helps. That's what that's what keeps supporters culture in New England thriving. That's where that turns into TIFO and all sorts of cool stuff. So follow the Midnight Riders. <laughs> and also make sure you check out the Clean Sheets for Clean Sheets Initiative. Um, Jake, where can people find you on social media? Uh, God, it's, I don't know if anyone wants to, but you can also t- attempt to find me at jacadenace43, um, at the Bent Musket. Um, we've been... I think doing fairly well with, with the writing the past couple of weeks. Um, not something sometimes a little hard for me to do waking up from naps all the time at weird hours and stuff, but uh, it's been, uh, it's always easier on the weekends when I'm off and I can actually watch the games in full and, you know, absorb everything and not try and watch things in 15 minute highlights or chunks and things like that. And, and getting the full, full experience from uh, distraught agony and terrible all the way up to no, 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 don't worry. We got this. Um, really, really helpful to enjoy that with, with the fans in its entirety as it happens, as opposed to seven or eight hours later, uh, when I, like I normally do it. Glad you got the whole game, Jake. Uh, and, and always, a, there's always a refereeing controversy when we bring you on. So uh, I'm glad you were available. Well, I don't, I don't think this was a controversy. I think, I, I, I think Andres Reyes was, was rightfully sent off. I don't think we had to, there was no controversy here. I don't think. Well, if, if, if he doesn't have the second yellow a little bit later, I think that if it's 11, 11, I think a lot of people look at that push into the boards as potentially a red. Yeah. But you say it's not a controversy and Bruce said it's not a controversy. I don't think so. so yeah. I don't think it's a controversy. We have, we have, we have bigger fish to fry. Uh, people are still sliding to the goalkeepers at all hours of the day. And I don't understand how these things aren't getting carded, but that's, that's another story here. Forget about the murders. Think about the people sliding into goalkeepers. Um, yes. You can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. And also please like our Revolution Recap Facebook and Instagram pages. Still trying to hit that 100 mark on Instagram, guys. Come on. I, I know our listeners have Instagram pages. You just haven't found us yet. Search us on Revolution Recap. We are there. Please give us a like on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. And while you are there, please make sure you rate and review us five stars. We will be back next week to recap another hopeful win at Cincinnati. Knock on wood. I think we will be back with a, a podcast next weekend. Not 100% sure since it's the holiday weekend, but we will try to have another one. Uh, if not, we will talk to you guys after the international break. Until then, thank you all for listening and go Revs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.